Your History is a new podcast brought to you from The Times, and it brings together the real-life stories from our obituaries desk, which have been published for over a century. In this brand new show, we build on this legacy and explore the endlessly fascinating lives who have enriched and informed our own. Join me and our sponsor, Ancestry, as we journey through your history. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. (laughs) (laughs) You will be right. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have like... You know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> this was like wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, <laughs> yeah, you, you were different. Like, you were real different, bro. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected yeah. things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com A quick warning. This episode contains descriptions of violence. It's a feature of the pre-COVID world that nobody had missed. Over the last few weeks, Islamist terror attacks in France and then Austria shook Europe and the world. Une fois encore, notre pays a été frappé par une attaque terroriste islamiste. In the last few days, the UK's terror threat level has been raised to severe. The British public should be alert but not alarmed. But the French president, Emmanuel Macron's response to the attacks, sent ripples of anger through the Muslim world. Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan has said President Macron needs a mental health test. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today... French secularism and the resurgence of terror. I remember it very well because it was the evening before curfew was introduced in Paris. That's Peter Conradi, Europe editor of the Sunday Times. And so I was going out with a friend to have a last kind of blowout dinner before lockdown. And I was actually sitting on a bus going across Paris from my, my home near Bastille. Being the good reporter that he is, Peter kept an eye on his phone. And I saw the story beginning to break. And a man has been attacked and decapitated in a suburb very near... It wasn't immediately clear... As, as always with these kind of terror attacks, the information begins to come in very, very gradually. It's often confusing at the beginning. This quiet Parisian suburb is at the centre of a terror investigation tonight. It was clear that somebody had been killed. It was clear that it was somehow linked with a school. And it was only as that 
evening went on. A large police presence guarding the area where a matter of hours earlier a teacher was decapitated in broad daylight. The, the full horror and the full sort of significance of what happened began to dawn on me. Really. Killed after showing images of the Prophet Muhammad. Thousands rallying across France today, paying tribute to the middle school history teacher viciously murdered in the street. Any murder is, is by its very nature horrible, but there is something... There, there's something just absolutely gruesome, revolting, appalling. I mean, there are no, no words for it. That someone had come along and had attacked him, had stabbed him, and then had actually chopped his head off, literally decapitated him. It then became clear in the course of the Saturday, the day after, that in fact, this wasn't a former pupil. The attacker was actually a complete stranger. Abdullah Ansarov was an 18-year-old Chechen who lived 50 miles away. So he didn't have any direct connection with the school at all, which was very, very curious indeed. Over the course of that Saturday afternoon, a fuller picture began to emerge of how this attack had come about. Essentially, it all began with a civics lesson that Samuel Paty, the teacher, had given to his class of 13, 14-year-olds. This wasn't the first time that Charlie Hebdo magazine had published provocative cartoons about the Prophet Muhammad. A trial has been going on since September in France of accomplices of the two Islamist brothers who carried out an attack on the headquarters of Charlie Hebdo, the magazine, in January 2015, in which they killed 12 people. As a result of that, there are obviously a renewed interest in the magazine, which itself has republished some of the cartoons in response to the trial. It was against that backdrop that Samuel Paty used these cartoons to talk to his pupils about the importance of free speech as one of the core values of the French Republic. Now, this was not a particularly new lesson. You know, this is something that he taught every year. This year, however, he fell foul of one of the parents of one of the children in the class, who is quite a devout Muslim. He took offence at this and he started a campaign on social media against Samuel Paty. He published some angry videos on Facebook, which soon found their way onto YouTube. He also, I mean, bizarrely, this parent also went to the local police and accused the teacher of spreading pornography to minors. He really made a big deal of it. And he also involved a friend of his, who was also quite a well-known uh, Islamic activist, who also made a video himself in front of the school. This led to an inquiry within the school. One of the, the most controversial things that the parent alleged was that Patty, before showing these cartoons, had ordered all the children of Muslim origin out of the class, that he'd essentially said, are there any Muslims here? Put up your hands. If so, you must leave the class, which, of course, would be completely contrary to the law. Yeah. The teacher denied that he did that. All he said was, if there is anyone in the class who 
thinks they might be offended by the images that I'm going to show them, please look away now. So the upshot of all of this was that the school found in the teacher's favour. And in response, Samuel Paty went to the police to launch a counter-legal complaint against the parent for defamation. And that, I think, would have been it had this whole issue not somehow sort of grown a life of its own on social media. Some of the videos were very widely spread around, including by a mosque in Pontin, just north of Paris. And it was because of that that the killer saw it on social media and he then had the absolutely extraordinary idea of setting off from his home in Evreux, 50 miles away, going to the school, finding the teacher and killing him. So he arrives at the school. Did he know the teacher by face already? No, he didn't. I mean, that's when this story takes yet another bizarre twist. He arrived at the school during the course of the afternoon. This was the last day before half term. And he saw a few children standing around outside the school or he he managed somehow to, to get in touch with them. And he began to ask them to point out the teacher to him. And also, allegedly, produced from his wallet several hundred euros and said, you know, I will give you this money if you point out your teacher to me. And they asked him, obviously, why he wanted to see the teacher. And he told them that he was unhappy with the teacher because he had shown his class the cartoons and so on. And he said he wanted to give him a good um, telling off. And essentially, the children took his money and pointed out the teacher, and the teacher then finished his classes, set off walking to his home, not very far away from the school, and Anzorov came up, attacked him, stabbed him, beat him, and decapitated him. The police were on the scene quite quickly. They confronted him. There is some extraordinary footage around on social media of them shouting at him, telling him to to put down his knife. I mean, he had a very, very long, I think 15-inch or so knife, pretty fearsome weapon. He also had a kind of a pellet gun with him. He refused to put down his knife. Instead, he ran at the police and they shot him dead. They fired nine bullets at him because it was very clear that he wasn't going to surrender. He was going to kind of take the jihadist's way out and be killed by the police. The killer was dead but the police investigations continued. In the immediate aftermath of the attack, a number of people were arrested. His immediate family, he had a younger half-brother, his parents. You know, there was no plot as such, as far as we can tell, involving the family. The child, the man who sort of started this whole thing off, a man called Brahim Shnina, and also his friend, an Islamist, who helped him make the videos, because... In a sense, it was their campaign against the teacher which paved the way for the killing. And the children who took the money from him have also been detained, and it's not quite clear what their fate will be. As dusk fell, thousands came, silently, in sadness and out of respect. With rain-drenched roses, they stood united to pay tribute to Samuel Paty. And what's the reaction been like in France to such a horrific murder? The reaction in France has been absolutely extraordinary. Partly, I suppose, initially because of the the horrific nature of the murder. But it's more than just that. 
it's because of the significance of the target. A teacher in France has a very, very important role, in a sense, as someone who passes on the values of the Republic of France. And one of the central values of the Republic of France is its very, very strong secular tradition. And so the very fact that this teacher was killed precisely for doing his job, for kind of being a representative of the French Republic, helping to teach, to train, to inculcate into a new generation the values of the Republic, that has just made it look like a full-out frontal assault on France and on its fundamental values. You know, one wonders if the killer really appreciated the significance of what he was doing. But, you know, whether he did or whether he didn't, it has had an enormous, enormous effect, you know, that would not have been the case had it been, dare one say, you know, a random killing of a passerby. And, and there have been other incidents around this too, haven't there? A few weeks before this attack, there had been another attack, in this case by a man of Pakistani origin, again a young man, who went to what he thought were the offices of Charlie Hebdo, the magazine, and attacked two people who were standing outside having a cigarette break, one man and one woman. We have breaking news from Paris where there has been a new attack near the newspaper office where Islamic extremists murdered 12 people five years ago. This time, two people were slashed in a knife attack. What he hadn't realised was that the magazine had long since moved away from its former offices and these were people who were just working for another company. Thankfully, they survived are now absolutely fine and I think back at work. So that was in a sense a case of mistaken identity. Then, in the days following the murder of Samuel Paty, news broke of another attack in Nice. Police storming Nice's Notre Dame Basilica were too late to stop the bloodshed. By the time they shot and injured the attacker, three people had been fatally wounded. The moment police entered the Notre Dame Basilica in the city of Nice, the site of the latest attack against France. A young Tunisian who'd actually been in France for, I think, less than 48 hours, went to the Notre Dame Basilica in Nice and attacked people there. He again decapitated someone, a 60-year-old woman who'd been praying inside. He slit the throat of the sexton, stabbed another woman. So three people died there. It was a brutal and murderous spree on a city that still bears the scars of one of the worst jihadi attacks in French history back in 2016. The attacker has been named as 21-year-old Tunisian Brahim Awizoui. Now, he was shot by the police, but not fatally. He's still in a very poor condition in hospital, but they will be questioning him. Again, it appears to have been inspired by the Charlie Hebdo trial, a kind of a copycat killing of the murder of Patty. And so, sadly, one fears it's going to now go on. As France is put on high alert, for many, it's a bitter reminder of the recent past. The attack on the Charlie Hebdo magazine was at the beginning of 2015. Later that year, in November, there was a series of, of very bloody attacks on 
the Bataclan, which is sort of a concert hall in the centre of Paris and also on the Stade de France during a football match and at various other points in the city. So in the course of that year, more than 200 people died as a result of these attacks. And it appears that the trial of the accomplices of the Charlie Hebdo attack have you know, reawakened these feelings. And the, the fear is that once you've had one attack, it will spawn other attacks because of this sort of copycat effect. So why has the Charlie Hebdo trial become such a lightning rod for tension within France? Peter Conradi takes us back to the original attack. At the beginning of 2015, two brothers, the Koachi brothers, attacked Charlie Hebdo because it had published cartoons of the Prophet, which they considered to be blasphemous. The brothers themselves were killed shortly afterwards in a shootout after they were tracked down by police. But the magazine has become a symbol of the French's right to mock religion. I mean, Charlie Hebdo is, is an interesting institution in France because people say that it's France's private eye. And in a way, they are similar. But in other ways, they're very, very different. First of all, it's it's not terribly funny. Is is that just your British sense of humour, Peter? I don't think so. It's 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 very much more bitter. I think it's very much more acerbic. Mm. Um, it feels to me very much more old-fashioned. It's kind of still part of this war between secular France and Catholic France that started, I suppose, in the French Revolution in the end of the 18th century, and which has continued in various sort of twists and turns ever since. And it, it, it almost seems as if they are still fighting those battles between those on the Republican side who hate the Catholic Church with a great passion, and those mm. on the Catholic side that never quite forgive those for carrying out the French Revolution. But what has happened is that Islam, curiously, has been drawn into it. And so one has Charlie Hebdo, which continues its attacks on the Catholic Church. It's not an anti-Muslim magazine, so they will happily publish cartoons attacking priests or mocking nuns or religion in any form. And they do it in a very harsh way. They do it, I would say, in a not particularly funny way, in a deliberately provocative way. It's almost as if there is a wound and they want to keep kind of poking at that wound. The Catholic Church is obviously used to it. Catholics are used to it and just ignore it. And I think the problem we have is that Islamic sensibilities are different and a lot of France's Muslims actually find it deeply offensive. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because you're right, it does sort of cut what became a law, a legal requirement in, in France for this very sort of aggressive secularism. And President Macron seems to be doubling down on that in all of his responses to the attacks. I think for him personally, this is a very, very big deal because he is, I think, a great believer in the French secular tradition, as indeed most prominent French people are. I mean, if you're a French politician, this is one of the basic tenets of public life. You can't but defend it. And so, therefore, he has seen this as an attack on the French Republic, on its values. And, you know, he is therefore defending those values 
in a very, very forthright way. He also, I think it should be said, can see some electoral advantage in it. Since he came to power in 2017, he has been gradually drifting towards the right. Bear in mind, he was a minister in a socialist government before. He's now centrist, centre-right, and he knows that in the next election, in 2020, his main opponent, as the last time round, is going to be Marine Le Pen from the far-right National Rally. And for that reason, he wants to be seen to be tough on Islamism. There is no conflict between what he believes in and what will be politically advantageous for him. It may be popular at home, but how is President Macron's stance playing out across the rest of the world? We'll find out in just a moment. But in the meantime, if you'd like more in-depth foreign coverage, do think about subscribing to The Times and The Sunday Times. If you do it today, you'll get one month free. Search for thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Your History is a new podcast brought to you from The Times, and it brings together the real-life stories from our obituaries desk, which have been published for over a century. In this brand new show, we build on this legacy and explore the endlessly fascinating lives who have enriched and informed our own. Join me and our sponsor, Ancestry, as we journey through your history. President Macron's government have declared a war on what they describe as Islamic separatists. It's a popular policy with many in France, but it's led to a wave of anger across the Muslim world. Largely thanks to President Erdogan of Turkey, who is an old foe of Macron. They've clashed on a whole number of issues. And he launched an extraordinary personal attack on Macron when he gave a speech in which he said... Literally, Macron needs his head examined, which is an extraordinary thing for one leader to say about another leader. France has recalled its ambassador to Turkey after Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan said President Emmanuel Macron needed mental health treatment, something the French government described as unacceptable. He portrayed what Macron was doing as being essentially an assault on Islam, an assault on Muslims. This has then reverberated through the Muslim world, with a number of other countries' leaders joining in, criticising Macron. It has led to some outrage in the Islamic world. It's always difficult to judge how genuine that outrage is precisely, because it seems to be quite easy often for politicians in some of the countries in the Islamic world to wind up the population, to kind of have demonstrations organised for a bit of flag burning, chanting and so on. I mean, there's been talk of a boycott of French goods. Erdogan urged a boycott. Some of other countries have actually taken that up as well. Whether in reality people will go along with that is not entirely clear. Macron himself then went to the quite extraordinary steps of giving an interview to Al Jazeera, the Arab 
television channel. He tried to clarify the situation. Moi, je comprends les sentiments que cela éveille. I understand the sentiments being expressed and I respect them. But you must understand my role right now. It's to do two things, to promote calm and also to protect these rights. He tried to stress that he wasn't attacking Muslims, he wasn't attacking Islam. He was just defending France's secular tradition and France's emphasis on free speech and on the fact that people should be free to criticize and to mock any religion that they wish. There have been some signs of support for France in the Islamic world. The United Arab Emirates put out a, a statement a few days ago, essentially defending Macron and saying he was not attacking Islam. He was merely stressing the importance of, of free speech. And so I, I suspect that it will all blow over. Did that do anything to assuage the anger felt by French Muslims? It's difficult to say. I think French Muslims themselves are a very, very mixed group of, yeah. of people. I mean, because of France's secular tradition, it's illegal to conduct a census of people and ask them their religion. So we, there's no official definition of how many Muslims there are in France, but one speculates that there are probably between about five or six million. So we're getting on for about 10% of the population. Now, that population contains inevitably very, very different people. The popular image that one has of French Muslims is essentially young men living in the banlieue, the kind of the suburbs around Paris or around other major French cities, who are angry, who don't have a job, who are discriminated against, who are picked on by police, you know, who are a disaffected, unhappy group. Now, obviously, there are plenty of those. There are plenty of other Muslims who are perfectly integrated into French society, who were born in France or whose parents were born in France, who were doctors, who were lawyers, who are in all these kind of different professions. Also within the Muslim world in France, there are very, very different attitudes to faith. There are some people who would perhaps go to the mosque once a year at Ramadan, much like Christians that only go to church once a year at Christmas. There are others that are very, very devout. There have been various surveys around, including one recently that said something like 29% of French Muslims think that Sharia law, Islamic law, should be superior to French law. Now, that is obviously very alarming as far as France as a whole is concerned. You know, one could say on the positive side that that still leaves a very much larger number who don't believe that Sharia law should have precedence. The whole thing has gone down, I think, very differently with different people. But I've been struck also talking to Muslims. They are worried about a backlash. They're worried about Islamophobia. I was struck when I went along to a memorial event for Sami Pati at the Sorbonne. There was a, a crowd of people standing outside and I didn't see one person who was obviously North African or of, of Muslim origin among the crowd. And I raised that with a, a Muslim woman I know afterwards and said, well, why not? And she said, well, because if we go, people abuse us. People shout at us. People say, why are you here? Why are you not doing more to condemn these people? And so on. So it's, it's a very complicated situation that's arising. And I think 
a very dangerous one for French society because there's a danger that Muslims will become increasingly separated out from the rest of the community. Is there a danger that by pushing the narrative of this aggressive secularism in their response to these attacks, people like President Macron actually end up causing even more tensions in areas like Nice, where you have a strong Muslim community living side by side with a very strong presence from people who would identify as Front National, as Marine Le Pen's far-right political party? I think there is a danger that it will lead to a greater polarisation of society, because I think there are a lot of Muslims who find themselves in the middle. They are pretty well integrated into French society. In most cases, they've been born in France. Uh, you know, they're working, they have a home life. You know, things are going fairly well. But if they get the impression that they are somehow being treated as being different, being not part of society, of being sort of the enemy within, this among some people will provoke a kind of a counter-reaction. There's a danger, I think, that it will drive some of them, particularly, particularly young men who are often, almost always, the ones who are responsible for these acts of violence, that it'll drive some of them into the hands of the extremists. I think the extremists, if they're clever, will know how to exploit such feelings, particularly through social media. You know, it's it's a potentially very, very divisive policy. I mean, I think the French state, the official line is that in order to stamp out Islamism, we just have to be more and more resolutely secularist. We have to hammer home these values. We have to insist on showing cartoons like the cartoon of uh, Mohammed, of Charlie Hebdo, had as part of this kind of policy, we have to really almost force it down the throats of young Muslims. Now, you know, you can imagine the kind of situation this leads to. You have children who are taught these things at school, who then come home to parents who are themselves quite religiously conservative, and they are then caught between the family values and the republic's values, which leads to tensions. You know, the, the whole thing, I think, is potentially very, very divisive. Those people who have expressed criticism, be they French commentators or be they foreign commentators, particularly American and others in sort of the English-speaking world, have been themselves roundly criticised by the French establishment who say, you don't understand how fundamentally different France is from other countries. You know, France is a secular country. It's not a multicultural country. It doesn't believe in allowing different groups to kind of coexist side by side, say as they do in Britain. It wants them all to march together to, to one tune, which is, you know, the secular tune. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, the Europe editor for The Sunday Times, Peter Conradi. You can read more of Peter's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print on Sundays. 
The producer today was Leona Hamid. The executive producer is Poppy Damon. And sound design was by Carla Patella. If you can, please do leave us a review. We read them all. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast or the Times Radio app, along with all the other podcasts from the Times. To download the app, search for Times Radio in the App Store. We'll be back next week. See you then. Subscribe today and get one month free at thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Your History is a new podcast brought to you from The Times and it brings together the real life stories from our obituaries desk, which have been published for over a century. In this brand new show, we build on this legacy and explore the endlessly fascinating lives who have enriched and informed our own. Join me and our sponsor, Ancestry, as we journey through your history. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse Crookshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl, yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.